Okay, good morning everyone. Um, so, as um, you might already know, we are looking at Romans chapter 10 this morning. Now previously, um, last week especially, the passage that we looked at then um, in Romans, um, we've been working our way um, through the epistle of Romans and thinking about Paul's longing that um, his fellow Jews would be saved. And we've also been given a bit of a, a sense of his frustration that despite all their religious zeal, they just didn't seem to understand what God wanted from them. Now that the promised Messiah had come and in the light of everything that Jesus had done for them. And the frustration that Paul felt was that the Jews, with all that the prophets had spoken of in the past, and with all that had now been revealed through the life and teaching of the Lord Jesus, the Jews really should have known better. Now, our passage, as I say, is, we're in the second half of Romans chapter 10, continues to touch on that theme but it's actually not what I want to focus on um, today. What I'd like to focus on is the big question, <laughs> the one that we should always be thinking about whenever we read our Bibles. And that question is, what does this mean for me? What does it mean for my life right now? So let's read the passage. We're going to start at verse 13, which was the last verse of our passage last week. And then I'll share some thoughts about it. So Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not all hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did, there, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So, what do we make of that? Our previous passage highlighted some key things about the gospel. The things that generally, generally the Jews still couldn't see. Um, last week in chapter 9, verse 32, and also in chapter 10, verse 4, we were reminded that we achieve the righteousness before God um, by faith. 
and not by works, and certainly not by trying to follow the Old Testament law, which is what many Jews and even Jewish Christians were still trying to do. In verses 9 and 10 of chapter 10, we have those verses which are favourite verses for, uh, for many people. I thought last week David was going to burst into song when he was reminding us of Romans, Romans 10 and 9. Um, but verses which tell us that salvation starts with what we believe in our hearts. And everything that we do after that, which includes our profession of faith, that Jesus is Lord, and all of the good works which are meant to accompany the Christian life, that they are a consequence of our salvation and not the cause. And then in verses 11 and 12 it says that we're all in the same boat. Jews and Gentiles, we all need to believe and we all need to ask God to save us. Um, which, Paul, which Paul puts it in these terms, we all need to call on the name of the Lord. The passage that we've read today kicks off with a series of very important questions, which basically add up to one overarching important question. And it's this. How exactly do people who have never heard the gospel before find themselves in a position where they have the knowledge and the opportunity to call on the name of the Lord? And that, my friends, is where you and I come in. What we have in verses 14 and 15 is Paul basically setting out some conditions or things which have to happen before someone can call on the name of the Lord. One, messengers must be sent. Two, the message must be preached. Three, people must hear the message. And four, they must believe what they hear. Now Paul had been writing about the unbelief of the Jews, as I said, and his point seems to be that they should have known better. And the reason why I think Paul has this view is that all of those conditions that we just thought about, they had already been met as far as the Jews were concerned. And in the following verses that we read on, and you'll have perhaps realised that he was quoting from the Old Testament there, various things that had been said then, all of those verses are highlighting that the messengers had indeed been sent to the Jews and the prophets, who were the messengers, had preached the message and the people had heard what was preached. It was just number four that they had the problem with. They just refused to believe it. But like I said, I don't want to focus really this morning on what the Jews did or didn't do um, in the past. What I'd like to highlight as um, we go through this, is to think about why any of this might matter to us today. Um, and I think what we see in all of this is that clearly there is a responsibility to respond to the gospel. There are responsibilities for those who hear it, who hear it for the first time, and by that I mean if if people hear it and understand it and then subsequently reject it, then God will hold them accountable for that decision. But there are also responsibilities for us who have already believed 
responsibility to share what we know so that others also have the same opportunity that we did. So let's look at those conditions again. Verses 14 to 15. Let's think about what they actually mean in practice for you and me this week and every other week for the rest of our lives. I'm going to put them in reverse order. I'm going to start off with the one in verse 15 which says, um, which talks about the importance of being sent. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? Now the point's obvious here. I'm not talking about people who are called to special missionary duties. The point here is that there can be no sharing of the good news unless ordinary people like you and me go and engage with those who need to hear it. And that doesn't really happen enough, does it? Honestly, it doesn't happen enough. For all, for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes um, Christians might keep their distance from non-Christians because they're afraid of the so-called bad influence. <coughs> or maybe because they think being separate from the world, which of course is something that we know that we are meant to do, but is sometimes being thought of as being, being separate physically rather than in mindset, which is what is really being talked about there. We only have to look at the life of the Lord Jesus to know that keeping our distance from non-Christians is not what God wants. Or, it's often being taught, that Christians shouldn't go to the place that sinners go to. I've heard it said in those, in those very same terms. Forgetting actually that we're all sinners, um, but cinemas, pubs, sports stadiums, leisure centres, they're all bad, apparently. I'm not sure where you draw the line with that one though. Beaches, parks, supermarkets, these are all places where, where sinners go um, as well. Um, so maybe we need to be careful with that one. And and sometimes, maybe more often than not, there's been the mistaken belief that it is enough to sit in a church hall and wait for the unsaved to come to us. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong, is there, with gospel preaching events in church. Um, but when you think about the number of visitors that we can engage with on those occasions, compared with the number of people that we might meet elsewhere in a typical week, people that we actually might already have something in, in common with or some kind of connection with, there's no contest, is there, in terms of which is the greater opportunity. Now you'll notice I've not included anything there about lack of courage or not knowing what to say um, under this heading of being sent. We'll come on to that. But this one is just about being with people who don't know the Lord. Family, friends, colleagues, neighbours, other people in our communities. Now they might possibly do things that we wouldn't normally do. They might talk and use language that we wouldn't normally um, like to use. They might have different priorities in life. They probably do. But none of that matters, does it? We need to connect with people 
who don't know the Lord. By the way, um, just one thing to add to that, which actually makes life easier. If you were thinking that we have to look around and try and evaluate who's um, interested and try and work out who best to target, so to speak. Because in verse 20, Paul reminds us that the people that God revealed himself to in the past and the people who found God were not the people who were initially seeking. And it's often true today, isn't it, that the it's often the most unlikely people that actually find God rather than the people that we might automatically think were good prospects. So we should make no assumptions about whether or not someone is likely to be interested in the gospel. We should engage naturally with other people, whoever and wherever we meet them on equal terms. So, that's being sent. Let's move on now to the preaching. Now, as we've already seen in verse 15, it's implied that the purpose of being sent, um, of being in the right place at the right time, is so we can preach. And it says in verse 14 that it's really important that we do preach because how can anyone hear without someone preaching to them? I think there are different aspects to this, which I'm going to touch on under the headings of hearing and believing, which I'm going to come on to. But I think the very simple point I want to make here is that preaching requires words. We've got to use words. I'll talk about lifestyle evangelism shortly. That's a phrase you might have heard of before. You might also have heard this famous quote, which is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. You heard that, that quote before? It's quite often used to support the idea of, it, of lifestyle evangelism, of, um, of actually using our lifestyle to preach the gospel more than using words. Three things I'd just like to say about that, that, that famous quote. Firstly, it's not a quote from the Bible. I guess we knew that, didn't we? Uh, but it's surprising how many popular quotes get thrown around as if they were quotes from the Bible. So it's useful just to remember that some of the things that we, we, we say commonly might actually be a quote of Brian Johnson, not actually a quote from the Bible or something, something similar to that. No. So that's the first thing. Um, secondly, Francis of Assisi never said it. He never said anything even like it. It's, um, the reason why it's connected to him is because there is, uh, it, it's, it's, um, it's a distortion of something that he wrote and taken out of context. Um, but actually no one really knows where the quote came from. And that's often true with a lot of misinformation, isn't it? And that's what it is, because my third point is that it's not true. It's wrong. As the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip in answer to the question that Philip asked him in Acts 8 when he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch replied saying, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. It's obvious really, isn't it? To share the gospel, we have to use words. 
We'll think a little bit more about the actual words in a few minutes, but I want to just leave the topic of preaching for now with just two further points. Firstly, we should remember, as it says at the end of verse 15, that the gospel is good news. So whatever we say and however we say it, the message should sound like good news. It shouldn't sound like a checklist of things that we must do and a, and a rule book of things that we mustn't do. There's a time and a place for that. Some of it, at least. Um, but the basic message should sound like the, something that people would be interested in. It should sound like something really great. And I suppose that the more we're actually enjoying life as a Christian ourselves, the more natural it will be to enthuse about it. And that brings me to my second um, point on that I'd just like to make. It's about having a natural conversation. I guess when we think about um, our responsibility to preach, we might imagine something a bit like the kind of gospel sermon that we've heard in church. Um, a sort of religious sales pitch. And we all love people selling things to us, don't we? Not really. So it's, it's about having a natural conversation, not sort of getting on a soapbox and preaching a sermon. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3 and 15, always be prepared to give an answer, not a sermon, an answer, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And I see that working out in natural conversations that we might have with family, friends, colleagues, neighbours and so on, over time, um, simply explaining in maybe long conversations, maybe very short conversations, why we, you and me, believe the things that we do and do the things that we do. Being sent, preaching. Let's talk about the hearing. We've already considered the obvious question, haven't we, as um, Paul put it, how can someone hear without someone preaching to them. But there's a related question, you know. Is it possible to not hear when someone is preaching? There's a famous uh, quote from the 1800s. It was a guy called um, Ralph Emerson. Uh, he wasn't a, a Christian, although he had a variety of um, interesting spiritual ideas. Um, but that's not the reason why I'm, I'm quoting him. He, he said something which is a, a truism, I think, in all walks of life. He said, who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Or in other words, another well-known, shorter um, saying, actions speak louder than words. And actually, this really is where the importance of lifestyle evangelism comes in. We can't talk the talk if we don't walk the walk. Um, that would just be called out so clearly as hypocrisy, wouldn't it? So the example we set is important. Not just the do's and the don'ts, but our, our whole attitude to life and to other people. That's, we're talking about the good works, we're talking about kindness and generosity, we're talking about being interested in other people, not just self-interest. We're, 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 we're talking about, in the words of Peter, that we thought about treating others 
with gentleness and respect. And on top of that, people should be able to see our enthusiasm for the gospel. If we preach a message of joy and look utterly miserable, guess which message people are going to hear? Become a Christian and you too can be as miserable as me. You know, that's not the message we want people to hear, is it? So our joy should be, at least some of the time, evident. So we've looked at three things. The final thing we come down to then is the believing. And that's not down to us, is it? That's not, that's not our responsibility, the believing bit. Or is it? Do we have a role to play in the believing? The willingness to consider the facts objectively. The willingness to call on the name of the Lord. Clearly, they are down to the, that's down to the individual who hears the message. And as we've already thought, the hearing is a prerequisite for the believing but the ability to believe is also dependent on a person knowing what to believe who Jesus is what did Jesus do why did Jesus do it what does Jesus want what's going to happen in the future and in the words of the jailer in Acts chapter 16, what exactly must a person do in order to be saved? You know, God doesn't expect people to have blind faith. There's a rationality to the gospel. And as long as someone can get over the first hurdle, which Hebrews 11 and 6 says is being able to believe that God actually exists, the rest of it should make sense to someone who listens with an open mind. That said, 1 Corinthians 1 and 18 does say that the message of the cross is foolishness um, to many people, so we accept that there will always be those who aren't convinced. But we live in a world where people are often interested in spiritual things, and many people do want to believe that there is more to this life. And many people are interested in what happens when we die. Now, the recent uh, YouGov survey, um, and on the one hand, you could say this survey was a bit negative. It would be certainly if you compared it with a similar survey if it had been done 100 years ago. But it's said that only four out of 10 people in the UK don't believe in God or in some other form of higher spiritual power. There's a lot of people who are already over or nearly over that first hurdle, um, a belief in God or a belief that there is something else more than, more than us. So, the opportunity is there. And maybe this is a bit where we get a bit scared. How do we convince someone to believe in Christ? What if we say the wrong thing? What if we miss something important out? What if we can't answer a challenging question? Could ruin the whole thing? Maybe. 
I, I guess these are legitimate things for us to be concerned about. But not things to be anxious about. As I said earlier, we're not expected to deliver um, some sort of gospel sermon um, to everyone who just happens to ask what we did on Sunday. But if we believe the gospel ourselves, then we should, it, we should be able, it should be a natural thing to be able to talk about it with people, with people that we know especially. Let me just give you an example. It's not a great example, I just wanted to try and think of something real um, from my recent experience that I could just share. Um, we sat down to dinner with some friends a little while back and um, they'd invited a neighbour um, to join us, um, who we've met a few times before, we get on well with him, he's a, he's, 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 he's a nice chap, a bit eccentric, but he's, he's really quite lovely. And, and we got talking um, about um, their local village church, um, because he had been a warden at that church for many years, but he recently resigned because he'd fallen out with the vicar. Um, and, 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 this was, and this had only just happened, which is why it just came up in the conversation, and he, he felt that she had been unkind to him and, and dismissive of his, of his ideas. Now, um, I'm thinking, you know, warden to the church, maybe he's a Christian, but then I realised pretty quickly that he wasn't a Christian because he said, I thought, quite an unusual thing. He said, I love Jesus, it's just all the other nonsense I don't believe in. I don't believe in God. I love Jesus, but I don't believe in all the rest of the nonsense. I don't believe in God. You know, <laughs> honestly, you might think that was an open goal. <laughs> you might think, oh, I could get, get straight in there. Um, but honestly, I couldn't think of anything more clever to say than, well, Angela and I, we love Jesus too, and we do believe in God. <laughs> um, and did that set the scene for some sort of argument or debate over the dinner table about what's believable and not believable? Actually, no. He replied, oh, oh, so you're believers. How interesting, he said. Um, do you go to church? And then we had a little conversation about, about the church that we go to. You know, could I have done better? Could I have said more? Could I have used the opportunity to preach the gospel to everyone at the dinner table? Maybe. At the time, it just felt natural to, to say what I said, to leave the conversation at that point, um, and maybe next time we meet Simon, um, you'll have some <laughs> more questions, and I'll have the opportunity to say a little bit more. Well, my point is, is simply that if an opportunity presents itself, <coughs> We just need to talk naturally and not worry too much about what to say, remembering that the Holy Spirit is able to use uh, whatever we say. So my time is gone. Let me just summarise very briefly what we've been thinking about. What Paul is saying is that it's really important that those of us who know the Lord Jesus, who have the good news of the gospel, it's really important that we try to share it with others because otherwise, who else are they going to hear it from? And if they never hear it from someone that they know and trust and respect, and let me, you know, let's assume that at least some of the people that we know would view us in those terms, what chance have they got of believing 
when faith and religion seems to be presented so often in the media with so many negative connotations. They need to hear the gospel from people that they know and love and trust and respect. And yes, we might have concerns about how we do that and we might have concerns about what kind of response that we can get, although I hope I perhaps showed in the example of Simon um, that the response that we fear sometimes might actually not be as bad as we, as it, as it, it might not actually turn out to be so bad. Um, but I think a lot of those concerns really just come down to overthinking it and after all there's, there's no end today is there of people in the news and on social media confidently sharing their beliefs and opinions on all sorts of things, weird diets and therapies, uh, conspiracy theories, uh, the dangers of 5G phone masts, um, elections being stolen and all sorts of other um, misinformation and amazingly a lot of the time people are believing all of this kind of stuff. So is it such a strange thing to share the gospel? Which, as Paul said in, back in Romans chapter 1, is not something to be ashamed of because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray.